0: Now, um, I get to share the message with you today, and I have a question, okay? Here we go with our question. What is the most famous Bible verse in the world? Oh, man, what's the most famous Bible verse in the world? John John 3.16! Hey, that's a great answer. I think you're right. John 3.16. Turn to your neighbor and say John 3.16 if you know it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Way to go, team! Now, if you put an if in there, how many of you guys put like an if? A believeth? Whosoevereth? You got any of those? Not if, but like whosoever? Okay, I learned this verse in Awana when I was very, very, very small and they were still doing the King James Version back then, and so when I have memorized verses, I, I like to say that we have them in the New International Authorized Standard Revised Andrew N I K J V. Like that's that's like what I got in my head, because I'll like start out saying a verse, and then I've memorized it in a different translation, and so sometimes it, it just you never know what you're gonna get. So, and just so you know, we are not planning on publishing Andrew's N I K J V anytime soon. So. Just putting that to rest. Now, John 3.16 is probably the most famous Bible verse today. Because over the last 2,000 years, and especially in kind of the last hundred years, it's gotten a lot of popularity. But here's a question. If you asked Jesus, when he was a little boy, going to Sabbath school, going to synagogue, what the most famous Bible verse was... What would he have said? Because he hadn't said John 3:16 yet, right? Like he hadn't said those things that then his disciple John would have written, because he didn't say it till he was a grown-up, and Jesus' Bible was the Old Testament. Raise your hand if you've ever read part of the Old Testament before. You ever opened up the Old Testament? That's what Jesus had as his Bible. When he was a little boy growing up, and he probably memorized a large portion of it. And so when someone asked him later on when he was a grown-up, they said, what is the greatest commandment? He had it locked and loaded. He knew exactly what that most famous Bible verse was. Hey, yeah, absolutely. That was the second command. He had this part. We're going to read it from Deuteronomy. Okay, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Bet you all didn't think we were going to Deuteronomy when I said most popular verse in the Bible. But here we go. Deuteronomy. We're going to throw it up on the screen. We're going to read it together. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God... The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so that commandment, that that verse became a prayer. That the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, and Jesus would have recited every morning when he got up. And every night before he'd go to bed. There's a Bible scholar named Scott McKnight who wrote an entire book on how this verse impacted and shaped who Jesus was and how he taught. And so if this verse is so important, if it was at the heart of how Jesus read the Old Testament, do you guys think we should probably understand it a little bit? That's probably a good idea. Well, here we go. Let's do this. So um, we're going to pray and then we're going to jump in with this verse. Let's pray. Father God. We thank you so much that we get to be your children, that we get to follow after you, that you care about us, and that we get to worship you here today. God, I pray that your spirit speaks through me. God, that you teach every one of us what it is that you would have us to learn from your word. And it is in your name, Jesus, we pray. All God's children said, amen. Amen. Way to go. Now, as I said, they would say this prayer in the morning and the evening. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to say it as if it's the end of the day and you're really tired. you got kind of your yawn going on. You guys can can do a yawn, stretch a little bit. Good job. All right. Here we go. We're going to say this together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Good job. Now we're going to go ahead and say it like you're on your way to work. You've had four and a half cups of coffee. And this morning, you're just like, God, get through your day. Here you go. Ready? One, two, three. Hero O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Good job. Wow. As maybe some of you, you got some more, like maybe you guys are more alert at the nighttime, so maybe you want to switch that around. Uh, that's totally okay. I'm just going to leave that up to you. Now, this verse was called the Shema. And it stands in the middle of this book of Deuteronomy, Can you just turn to your neighbor and say Deuteronomy? That's a fun word. Deuteronomy! Now, we've been memorizing in DC Kids what the first five books of the Bible are, so we're going to say it together. Ready, set, go. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Good job. Way to go. Now, in Deuteronomy, it is one speech, the whole book of the Bible, is one speech. He gave 30-plus chapters in one speech from this guy named Moses. Now, you guys are so welcome that I am not going to give you a 30-plus chapter speech this morning. Aren't you so happy? Now, okay, you guys are so welcome. Oh, this is great. All right, but so this Moses guy, if you're going to understand the first couple books of the Bible, if you get your head around Moses, and you can just kind of map Moses in your brain and be like, oh, I know Moses. Moses then you know what happens in the first five books of the Bible, pretty much. There's, there's some other stuff, some details, but if you can just kind of start with that. Now, can you raise your hand if you have seen a movie about Moses before? Who's seen a movie about Moses? There's the Charlton Heston version. That gets played on ABC during Easter time for some reason. No, there's a reason, but uh, they play that one. And then there's also the Prince of Egypt, which has those songs that get stuck in my head. So this year, I was decorating my tree, and listening to my pentatonics playlist, and all of a sudden, one of those songs from the Prince of Egypt, like, slips into my playlist, and Joe and I are walking around our house going, there can be miracles! Like, and, because that movie is just so, such a story that grabs people. Because Moses, like, he liberated the people of Israel. God had used him to get them to this point, and they're just about to go into the land, and he's going to give them his final, like, Advice, his final word, like the Disney movie mentor who's gonna be like, Remember. Like all the Disney movie mentors are giving the final advice. So Moses is gonna to turn to the people of Israel and he says, Final piece of advice love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now I already mentioned this is called the Shema. Because that comes from the Hebrew word for hear. It says, hear, O Israel, listen. Can you point to your ear? Listen, O Israel. But but here's the deal about the way Hebrew works. They don't have a word for just listening to something and then going and doing your own thing. Like going in one ear and out the other. Like maybe some of you were like when someone was telling you what you wanted for Christmas and maybe you were in a panic at Walmart, being like, what, am I going to get my wife for Christmas? She told me what she wanted. That may or may not be a true story. But going in one ear and out the other, that's not how Shema works. Shema is something that goes in your ears. You hear it, you listen to it, you obey it, and then it comes out your hands as you do it. Because when it comes to God's word, we need to listen, but we need to obey and do what it says. So hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, when he says the Lord is one, he says the Lord is number one. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is number one. God is number one. Way to go. God is number one. We did a series in youth group called Boss, and we were learning about how to overcome idols because anything that we put in the place of God gets called an idol. And I know that pretty much all of you here today are not going to be tempted to go home and to build a giant golden calf in your backyard and get your whole family together and like bow down and sing worship songs to that calf. Like that's, that's not um, what you're planning on doing this afternoon. And if it is, we can maybe have a conversation after church. But, uh, but that's not the temptation. But as Americans, we do like to put things in the place of God in that number one spot. And what happens, maybe it's even a good thing. There are people who put harmful things, who put bad choices, selfishness, kind of bad things in that place of God. But there's also people who put good things. They put work, they put sports and hobbies and comfort and just all of these things that we put in the place of God. And when a good thing becomes a God thing, it's a bad thing. And so he's telling this nation of Israel to remember as you're going to step in to the new land, you're going to step into what God has for you, that the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And maybe there's some encouragement there for us as we are stepping into a new decade. Did you know this is your like last chance to come to Dallas Church this decade? Whoa, good news is we'll be open next week. So you can come in 2020. And you can, you can come and, uh, and be a part of our church then too because we're going to span the decades here. But so as we are stepping into something new, maybe that's a good reminder that we should put God in that top spot. And he tells them to put God in that top spot, you need to love the Lord with all your heart. So love is always at the heart of following God. You got to love God. You got to want God in your life you got to care about Him because He cares about you. And there are people who misunderstand the Old Testament... ...and they think the New Testament, we like that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... ...they've got all the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Like, we love all that stuff, right? But what we can miss in the Old Testament... ...is miss that God is still a God of love. And that He's seeking out people. He wants a relationship with people. And as we step into 2020... ...we want to be people in relationship with God. One of our, uh, daughter, our daughter church, which was Corvallis Church, and now they've merged and become Village Church, and we love their pastor, Mike Miller. He helped start this church. Super awesome guy. They're like rallying cry. I love this. They gave me um, some of their swag that says on it, love changes everything. And I just think that's so true. Love changes everything. And so... We're going to love the Lord our God with all of our, ready to point to it, heart. Now, here's the deal, though. We're going to learn some Hebrew today. It's going to be awesome. Heart is the word lev. Can you say lev? Turn to your neighbor. Lev. Now, lev does not just mean what we think of when we hear heart. Because we use, like, the Disney movie way, and we're like, follow your heart. And we're thinking about, like, all those, like, touchy-feely emotions that maybe guys don't want to talk about or deal with. Like, those are all the feeling things. But actually, the word love means both your heart and I'll point to your brain. And your brain. Because we're going to love God with all of us, with our mind and the rational side and with the emotional side. Because it all gets tied together. Now, this is probably my favorite word out of all of it. The next one is the word for soul. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to point to your throat. Point to your throat and say, nefesh. Turn to your neighbor, nefesh. Isn't that so much fun? Let's do that again. Nefesh. Now, the word for soul in Hebrew is also the word for throat. Because they would talk about life as breath. If you've read in Genesis, God breathes into the man, his lungs fill up, and his life is in his breath breathe real quick couple deep breaths good job and god gives us life and it is this word that david uses in the book of psalms when he says in the same way that a deer is panting for the water that a deer is so thirsty so my nephesh, my soul needs god have you ever run into the kitchen and taken a drink before when you were super, super, super thirsty? Maybe it was some water, maybe some lemonade, and you're just like, go, 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 Like, you're throwing that back, and it feels so good. Because in the same way that our throat would thirst for water, our soul thirsts for God. And this, this word for soul doesn't just mean, like, the, the part of you that thinks and feels, but it means all of you. And then the last word in this that we're going to get to, this is your last Hebrew word for the day. You ready? Get your muscles out. Get your muscles out. Turn to your neighbor and say me'od. 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 Now, the word me'od is the word for very or much. So if you're going to like have a lot of cows, you're going to have me'od cows. Like lots of cows. If you're going to have... Lots of, like, intelligence. You're a smart person. You are me'od smart. If you're, like, a really good-looking person, you are me'od. You look me'od good. Like, me'od means very. So, hear what it's saying. Like, we use the word strength, but it's all of your muchness. All of your muchness you give to God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have muchness. I have muchness. I'm going to use that all week. I have muchness. So, We're supposed to give all of our lev, all of our nefesh, all of our me'od, all of this to God to love him. And that is drawing a circle around all of you. One of my favorite stories is about a church in India, and they were doing an offering time. And all the children in the village, all the different people in the village were bringing up part of their offering to give to God. They were trying to give something Back to God. And so some of them brought chickens and eggs and just like what, what they had, you know, food. And there's this one little boy who didn't have anything. He's sitting there with open arms and he walks up to the basket and he sits down in it. And he says, Because this is what I have to give. It's me. And that's what this verse means. And as we step into 2020, maybe that's the reminder we need. Is that we are going to live for God fully. All the way. And so he tells them to remember this. Now, why are we doing this verse on Family Sunday? Because you got to read the next verse right after it. Here we go, ready? After you've mastered, you put God as number one. Verse six... These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, according to this verse... It's only between two times that you are supposed to share Jesus with kids. Only two times you're supposed to do family discipleship. Are you ready? It is between when you get up and when you lie down. Only when you are at home and when you are not at home. What's he meaning here? Everywhere. Every moment of every day is family devotion time. It's discipleship time. When you go to the store and you are talking with someone and you ask the cashier how they are, and they say, they like give you an answer instead of just being like, good. That's an opportunity for you to make a disciple right there. Because the way that we do life with each other, every second of every day, when if you are a parent or a grandparent, when they are telling you, About their present, when they're telling you about Legos and Fortnite, that is all an opportunity for discipleship time. Because every second of every day is how we raise up disciples. And so, what it says here is it talks about tying God's word on your arms and on your forehead. Can you imagine if next week Ben and I were standing up here with like Bibles strapped to our heads and we were like, hello, everybody, welcome to Dallas Church. Like, wouldn't that be kind of a weird thing to walk into a church? Everyone else is like grabbing a pew Bible and duct tape and getting it all on their heads. Well, that's not what this is talking about. This is meaning that God's word should be so built into who we are that it just comes out in our everyday conversation. That it's just ready in your mind because you've thought about it. And it comes out in your hands as you're doing things to obey God. And so we as a church want to be a church that loves God and teaches others. We want to love God and teach others to do the same thing because God is so cool. And we want to follow him. And when it comes to here at Dallas Church, we want to be a church that raises up the next generation to follow Jesus. The big win for all of our areas of ministry, all of our kids' ministry areas, whether we're holding babies in nursery, whether we're doing some discipleship in youth group, whether they're serving in youth group or preschool, we're coloring, we're giving out goldfish. Like, why do we do all this? It is so that when your kids, your grandkids, the kids in our church, when they grow up, that they follow Jesus on their own. And they decide when they're in a town, they're, they've moved off and they say, I want to join a church because this Jesus thing is not just mom and dad's thing. It is my thing. And that has to be their decision. And we are going to do our darndest. We're going to do our best to make that happen. And so we make D.C. Kids a fun place to be. We want to play games. We want to engage them. It's a safe place to be with our check-in system. You guys ever, who's checked in a kid with our check-in system before? I know sometimes those tablets don't always work for us the way we want them to. But those name tags, those background checks, like we are doing our best to make this a great place for kids to follow Jesus. And it is all with the end goal, kiddos, that you would grow, that you would grow to know and to love God. And so when it comes to my role as the next-gen pastor, I love my role and my job. And I get up almost every day. Some days I want to stay in bed. But I get up every day so excited about sharing Jesus with the kids of this church. But here's one thing I can't do. I cannot tell you how to parent. I cannot tell you how to grandparent. Because I haven't walked that road. I haven't been there. And actually, we were really intentional when we gave me the title of next-gen pastor as opposed to like a lot of churches have a family pastor, a family pastor. But here's the deal. I've never had a family like that. I've never raised kids. I don't know what that day-to-day looks like. Like I've read books, and I know discipleship. I know what the Bible says. But if you want like really day-to-day help, Ben is the guy you got to talk to about that. Because he's been there. (laughs) Did you see that? That just happened to me. Uh, But so he's been there, and he's walked through that road. And so as I'm coming to this passage, I really wanted to share some practical, helpful things. But I am not going to stand up here and be like, listen, everybody, to the Andrew Bullock Guide to Parenting. Like, that's not what we're going to do. So what I did is I asked a lot of families in our church, because we have some awesome families in our church. We've got great elders. We've got great small group leaders and just awesome people like you guys. You guys are also awesome, but awesome people in our church. And so I asked them for some tips. You guys want to hear some of their their tips on parenting? Because you guys don't want to hear my opinion. You want to hear their opinion. So here you go. Pro tips on parenting. First off, is manage your expectations. If you're going to try and push your kids, your grandkids, have those conversations, maybe it's just kids in our church, I can tell you, nobody has the Little House on the Prairie style family devotions where we all walk in and take a seat at the table and the kids are like, Father, will you teach me of the scriptures, please? Like, that doesn't happen. But what you can do is day in and day out point those kiddos towards Jesus. And so when it comes to this idea of, of a family um, discipleship and grandkids and, and just doing, having these spiritual conversations, this is a no-shame zone. This is not a time for us to pile guilt on anybody. And, and we live in, like, a parenting guilt age where, like, you know, you post a picture and you're like, I'm so happy I took my kid to McDonald's. And everyone's like, you should not give him that unhealthy food. I can't believe you're the worst parent ever. Like, that happens. And this is a no-shame zone when it comes to family discipleship. We are just going to take the next right step. We're just going to take a step towards following Jesus. And so there's some obvious things, getting your, church, your kids in church and youth group and Bible studies. Pastor Ben's big advice was to tell the stories of the Bible. Some of you are really good storytellers. I've heard your stories. And to tell the stories of the Bible and tell about, hey, there was that one time where Jesus fed a bunch of people with five loaves and two fishes. And then you ask the question, you say, what does that teach us about God? Turn to your neighbor Say, what does that teach us about God? What does that teach us about God? Guess what? You're equipped to go do discipleship now. Good job. Good job. You know it. You can turn to them and say, what does that teach us about us? What do we learn about ourselves from that? And just asking those simple questions and storytelling it. Maybe if you got a bedtime story ritual, it is not that hard to hop on Amazon and buy yourself a kid's Bible. And open that up and start reading that with your kiddos. Maybe having it there as a grandparent. Maybe you keep your Bible on the dining room or maybe on the coffee table. So it's just a part of your life. So teaching kids with the stories, teaching them about prayer. Prayer is not just a wish list of like, you know, we're writing a letter to Santa. God, give me a pony and Fortnite and Xbox and all those things that I want. But rather it's a conversation. To talk to God every day. Modeling this rhythm for yourself. That was another important thing. Because you can't give what you don't have. Almost like if you've been on an airplane, they tell you to put the oxygen mask on you first? Before you help the kid? It's almost the same way where we need to be people of the word before we can teach other people about it. And maybe you just use that as your kind of your devotions is what you want to teach your kids about. You want to talk with your grandkids about. Maybe they're really interested in miracles and they got some questions about how does that all work? That Jesus had like five loaves and two fishes and paralyzed guys and he's making them walk. Maybe you could read up on that. Maybe you could do the devotional study with your kids. You want some accountability? They might help you out with it and ask you the question. Did you read this morning? Like, Maybe that's the way to do it, to invite them into. Another thing is to be open and honest about your struggles. And instead of being all put together and like, I'm a grown-up and I follow Jesus and you just do what I say because I said so. But rather to talk about this is how God has helped me. This is some of the areas where God has been shaping me where I have had to say no to things in my life, and you can do this at an age-appropriate level for each kid, and just to have those real-life conversations about what's going on with you, because you don't need to have all the answers. And it's probably the same way with grandparenting, where if you've got those authentic relationships. There was a Bible study teacher I had in middle school, so somewhere between, like, 5th and 7th grade, and I don't even remember But she would tell stories about how God was shaping her. And she would tell stories about how God had changed her life. And I don't remember a single Bible fact she ever told me. But I can tell you that I remember what she told me about what God was doing in her life. And she would tell me stories about the person she used to be and the person that God was making her and shaping her to be into. And I'm a Christian today because of her work in my life. She's one of those people I would point to and say, that is a huge part of why I do what I do. And so you never know what the impact is going to come from what you do. So this is, this is a no-shame zone. We're going to step into 2020. We're going to teach others about Jesus. We're going to step into 2020. We're going to love God, and we're going to teach others. That's our big idea. If you got something to write down, if you're just doing one thing, love God teach others. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. We pray that your spirit um, is moving. God, that you would bring someone to our mind who we would know to share you with. God, give us the next right thing to do, and we trust you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.